0: Welcome to Christ Fellowship at Little Miami. we start out by dismissing our kids. They can head out with Miss Melissa and Miss Kelleen in the back. And off they go. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 7. We are in a year-long series called Behold the Man, and we're focusing in during this month on the invitation we're paying, te- paying attention to instances where Jesus invites us either through his words or his teachings to alter our lives by spending time with him. Before we launch into today's message, though, let's see how well you guys are doing with your memorization work. Shall we? Yes, we shall. Come to all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable, and my burden is light. Much better. Much, it just it, two services in a row, two weeks in a row. If you guys made New Year's resolutions, you've made it past the 11th, and so you are successful by the world's standards. I guess that's when everybody dumps theirs, like if, by the 11th, that's when everybody's done. Well, staying in the Word is good. Staying in the Scriptures is excellent. And today we're going to dip into the Scriptures pretty heavily once again by looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Years ago, the Walker family, the entirety of the Walker family, went on a beach vacation. And we did something interesting on that vacation. We actually took shovels with us for the beach vacation. The purpose was so that we, the Walker men, could build up an enormous pile of sand and carve out an elaborate sand sculpture because. What's more fun than moving thousands of pounds of sand while on vacation? And so we did it. We, we had a designated day. We went out and we started digging very early. We blew up this enormous pile of sand and then throughout the heat of the day, all through the afternoon, we carved out this enormous dragon. And so people were stopping by as they were kind of moving up and down the beach. They'd come up to see how we were, what progress we were making and what was happening. And we, we took a great deal of delight from watching people actually like encounter the dragon throughout the day and... And uh, all through the evening, people were even coming up. Then some art critics stopped in. (laughs) Probably a bunch of kids. We didn't really catch them doing it. But the the work of four men over the course of a day was obliterated in a matter of moments. And we didn't bear them any grudge. I mean, if they hadn't done it, the wind would have done it, the rain would have done it, the tide would have done it. It was going to happen one way or another because sandcastles are not permanent. Sand sculptures are not permanent. Buddhist monks actually have an interesting religious practice. Uh, They do sand drawings. They'll take colored sand and they put together these elaborate, delicately constructed patterns. You'll see some of them on the screen behind me. And they do this knowing and actually experiencing many times the imminent destruction of their artwork. They do this as a religious practice because they're saying something through this art. Here's what they're saying in essence. Everything is bound to be destroyed. All things are impermanent. All things will be ruined. All things will be corrupted. Time destroys all things. All things are subject to change. And that's a central Buddhist tenet. But what's true as a central tenet for Buddhism is a tragedy in Christian theology. Building something that doesn't last, that's what fools do. The idea in Christianity is that you can actually make things that endure forever. The things you construct can be here forever. Card houses and sandcastles are typically not built with permanency in mind, but most people would not like to have their lives compared to a card house. If you want to see someone destroyed emotionally, just demonstrate to them that everything that they're doing, all that they're about in this life is ultimately bound for ruin. Very difficult to feel good about yourself when that's true. This week, we're going to consider Jesus' words about the construction project that is our lives. This week, we'll be discussing what you are building. So what are you building? Let's open up to Matthew 7. We're going to read that text, but first, let's pray. Our God and Father, I praise you for giving us construction instruction that you set about to give us an idea of what we should be doing during the course of this life. As we hear your word today, Father, may it set deeply within us. May it change the way we view our own lives and our purpose here and what we're doing today. Holy Spirit, we're trusting you with that endeavor. Come and speak to us. Teach us. It's in your most precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, we'll be looking at verse 21 through 27 today, so have your Bibles out. If you've got a pen handy or a pencil handy, you might want to write some stuff in the margins as we go along today, so have that out as well. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 27. The first part of this is going to sound familiar. We just discussed this a little bit a few weeks ago. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, verse 24, and whenever we see the word therefore, we always ask ourselves, what's it there for? Because of what we just said, because there will be people who show up on Judgment Day having done many religious things, and they'll be turned away with Jesus looking at them and saying, I don't know who you are. Because of those things, listen to this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Life is a construction project. Life is a construction project. Jesus just told us as much in this text, but I want you today and then for the rest of your lives to think about your life as a construction project. Moment by moment... Day by day, year by year, you were deciding what you were building. And what you were building can be of great value. What you're building could be gone in an instant. That's the way God describes this. I asked the question on social media uh, recently. I asked it years back as well. I asked the question, what is the most useless thing you have ever built? Think about that question for a moment. What is the most useless thing you have ever built? Got a lot of answers. Time wasted in video games, craft projects, homemade license plates for bikes that were not allowed to be ridden on the street. Science projects, puzzles, the world's largest snowball. Somebody said the most useless thing I ever built was a Facebook following. I dig it. Origami mastery. One of my military friends said he had to build a hut for a military superior. I had one friend who said that he developed a crossbow booby trap to defend his bedroom. One person said, the most useless thing I ever built was my self-esteem. Interesting. As we get rolling today, I want you to spend a few moments about what you've done with the construction of your life. What have you built up? What have you vested your time in? What What is your construction project that you're working on as you enter this meeting today? What are you building? Some people are building something dangerous. Did any of you ever build forts when you were kids? Yeah, it's, it's one thing to build them out of the couch cushions. Uh, we, were, we were those who went back in the woods and found scrap lumber and rusty metal and threw together things that like you shouldn't walk on and you should definitely not be under. Um, if you've ever observed that, you realize people can build things that are dangerous. The wrong person building the wrong thing the wrong way is a dangerous prospect. And many people are doing that with their lives. They're constructing something dangerous with their lives. By that, I don't mean that they're just building terribly. I mean, they're engaging in a life of abject disobedience to the God of this universe. That's dangerous. If you're living in rebellion against God, your work is going to collapse. The destruction is imminent. Did you see the way Jesus described it in this text? It will be destroyed. What you've built will be destroyed, but it's worse than that. Not only is your life and the value of what you have built in this life going to be destroyed, but you too will be destroyed if you are in abject disobedience to the God of this universe. That should terrify you. Some people are building things that are dangerous. Some people are building things that are pointless. We've all made pointless things before, right? Taken an elaborate amount of time to draw some doodle somewhere or or invested yourself in something that nobody's ever going to see or something that was really truly meaningless to you after you made it. Here, I would relate this to the life of distraction. How many of us live to just be distracted? One more show, one more YouTube video, something else to take my attention for a few more minutes, for a few more minutes, for a few more minutes, and then your life is gone. Some people spend a lot of time doing other things that are pointless, like impression management. You know what I mean by impression management? I really want to control the way people see me and the way people think about me. How many people in this culture, in this world, live their lives just worried about what other people are consumed with when they think about them? What's the impression I give off? And all of life is built toward maintaining a certain persona. Interesting that the God of this universe tells us to be bluntly honest with one another within this congregation. Almost as if that other stuff is pointless and doesn't matter. Some people live their lives for comfort and security. Let's be honest. Most people in this country live their lives with the primary goal of comfort and security. What did God say about that? Valuable? Really important, vital? No. Remember in uh, Luke chapter twelve when we were when we've got this discussion. There's this there's this man Jesus says who, who we, uh, he he has this great harvest that comes in and he goes I can't contain all this and so he builds bigger and bigger barns and he stows away all of this grain he stockpiles it up for himself and he says There my soul now we can relax, I can eat drink and be merry all is well I've got security for the rest of my life and God says You're a fool. You've laid up for yourself these treasures on earth, and you're going to die this night. And then who will get what you've laid up? So is that what you've been living for? Is that the construction project of your life, security? Look at God's analysis of that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I want you to consider this phrase for a few moments. Some people are building something religiously impressive. Religiously impre- Think about that phrase. Religiously impressive. They're doing things that are to be seen. They're doing things that seem important. Building something that's religiously impressive, but still ultimately pointless. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy, listen, in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, evildoers. That phrase, in your name, to do something in someone's name is to, to do it with their mantle of authority over top of you. It's, I'm doing this for this person, for their glory, for their honor, in their name, by their justification, by their desire. And Jesus goes, you can do things, and I still don't know you. And if that's the case, you've got no place with me. So how about you? Are you building something dangerous? Are you living in rebellion against God? Are you doing, building something pointless? Have you been constructing things that maybe are useless, or going to fall away by time all is said and done? Are you building something religiously impressive yet ultimately meaningless? Or are you building something worthy that endures? There's this fourth category. Jesus is going to tell us how to do it today. What he's essentially saying is this. You can construct things in your life. You can do things right now that will endure forever. Think about that for just a moment. What else are you doing today? Have you thought about, have have any of us thought, today I will do something that will shape eternity? That's what Jesus is going to describe as we go through our texts today. You can make something that lasts forever. What's the difference? Well, Jesus says pretty plainly, it's who you know and it's what you practice. Who you know and what you practice. So what's the plan? What's your plan for construction? How are you building your life? Woodworking in high school. I had a great woodshop teacher, and he taught me this. Proper prior planning prevents pitifully poor projects. Proper prior planning prevents pitifully poor projects. If you want what you do to mean something, you've got to actually plan for it. And so what do most Christians do when it comes to planning their lives around the person of Christ and the construction of their lives? Here's what I find. Most people who call themselves Christian think about Jesus as an add-on. He's something I add to my existing pro- project. I just kind of put him into what I'm already doing. Would Jesus allow that to happen? Will Jesus be a brick in your building, another brick in the wall? Will Jesus be a window? Could Jesus just be a knickknack that you place on a shelf? That's the way many people treat him. He's an add-on. He's something that's part of my life, but let's be honest, he's not the core of my life. Jesus has not extended you that option. Let me ask you this question. When does a foundation go in? It's got to go in. Can you decide that after the roof goes on, you need the foundation? No, you're in trouble at that stage of the game, aren't you? The foundation has to go in first, which means this. If you build up a lot of life, if you build up a lot of purposes and structures apart from Jesus Christ, you might have to do a little demolition. There are times in our lives when we've got to look at what we've done and step back and go, you know what? If the foundation has not been put in place yet, what I've been doing is wasting my time. Think of this in terms of GPS. You listen to your GPS? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Let's imagine you're driving, and you get that, that phrase, even the tone of the phrase. Make U-turn as soon as possible. Make U-turn as soon as possible. And, and you're driving. Let's imagine, like, well, let's see how it just goes here. I'll just keep going we'll roll for a little while, maybe I'll get back on track. And you just keep going. How far in the opposite direction must I go before I don't have to make a U-turn anymore? When is the best time to change directions? As Soon as you realize you're going the wrong way. If you do not change direction, as soon as you realize you're going the wrong way, then here's what you're doing, you're just getting further and further from where you are meant to be. Does that make sense? When it comes to building your life around Jesus Christ, if you've built a lot else other than apart from that foundation, the time to change things up is now. I like the visual of demolishing a house in this regard. Man, that's hard to do. It's hard to take something you vested yourself in and break it down and destroy it. But this is why Christ uses phrases in the New Testament like, you must be born again. You must die to to yourself. Anyone who wants to save his life must lose it. The idea is this is a radical transformation. Radical. Construction is an uh, active commitment. It requires a plan, a blueprint. Now, if you've been with us so far this year, you've heard a lot of sermons about Jesus already. You're going to hear a lot more before the year is done. And I've been blessed to hear from many of you that you've been engaging in daily bible study in the gospels some of you have told me that hey i squared out this chunk of my day i'm reading this here's what i saw this morning or what does this mean and i love hearing those stories because what it's telling me is you're going i'm making a plan and i'm sticking with it i've created a place a space in my life for jesus christ and it's been blessing many of you so how about it have you opened up a table and left it out on your house Oh, that's messy. Yeah, but so is your life. Leave a table or a Bible open on the table and read from it every day. Have you set alarms or timers? Have you made the space for Jesus Christ every day in your life? If not, stop wasting time. Make a U turn now. One of the maintenance staff at the retirement home that my uh, grandfather, my father's father, lived in, uh, he and I were talking. I used to work maintenance at Mason Christian Village. He said, you know, I interviewed your grandfather on the topic of wisdom one time. He said, yeah, and he he said, here's what I got. He said, "I, I sat down and I said to him, where do you want to start? My grandfather, very old preacher, preached for many years. Where do you want to start? My grandfather looked at him and, well, we all know that we are meant to love Jesus. But how can we love someone we don't know? And how can we know someone that we won't spend time with? This is true for us. This is the blueprint for altering your life. Do you want to build something that lasts forever? The construction project of your life, would you like it to endure? Spend time with Jesus, hear him, and then put this into practice. So how shall we build? How shall we build? We already said foundation first, right? Foundation first. Uh, My next-door neighbors, when I was growing up, told their children, if you're ever outside, and you see a tornado on the way, and you cannot make it into the basement in time, grab a hold of something Steve Walker built. (laughs) And they said this for good reason. Uh, My father way overdoes it when it comes to construction issues. When I built a deck on the back of my own house, I was under the impression that post holes needed to be dug four and a half feet deep. They don't, by the way. But that's how how deep we had to dig them back when he had us digging post holes for his deck. And so I retained a lot of those things. But there's a truth that is gleaned here. The truth is this. If you want something to be structurally sound, it has to be firmly planted on something that is bedrock, that is solid, that is not moving. And this is the nature of Christianity. If you want your faith to be sound and right, there is only one foundation for it. You've seen it in the text. Let's look at it. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it, because it had its foundation on the rock. We dig down before we build up, because without an adequate foundation, without an immobile surface to work from, what you build will ultimately fall apart. Jesus knew that this was the case. Everyone who heard Jesus say this said this knew it was the case. And what's the alternative? Jesus only gave us two alternatives. It's built on the rock or everything else fits this other category, build on the sand. Everything else is that category. There's no in between. You can't put in a wooden footer. You have to either build on the rock or it is all building in the sand. Now, in order to understand a little bit more about what Jesus is saying here, we're going to need some geographic, hydrodynamic, and geological facts about the region. So here's what you need to know. If you were, let me just, let me, let me use this quip. What is the leading cause of death in the deserts of Galilee and Judea? In the, in the deserts of the, the Negev? Leading cause of death, do you know? Drowning. Drowning is the leading cause of death. And that, now you might be thinking, how does that possibly work? Drowning in the desert? How does one drown in the desert? Deserts are places devoid of water. And the answer is, is found even to this day, if, if you go to this region, you decide to hike in the desert, you're probably thinking desert, you're thinking like Lawrence of Arabia, like rolling sand dunes, or, or these endless plains. That's not what deserts look like in this region. In this region, deserts are canyons. They're canyons. They're a series of of rocks, rock walls, and then you've got these valley gullies that kind of run between them. And so when you go hiking in this region, you hike at the base of these canyons. You're walking through, and guess what's filling the whole base of the canyons? Sand. It's sand, no, not water, just sand. Nothing but sand. And as you're walking through the sand, here's the deal it can be completely sunny, completely beautiful, but if it has rained in the region, if rain is falling in the region, The desert does not just suck all this stuff up because it's mostly rock and it dumps it down into these valleys and people will, this happens every year, people will be walking through these gullies and all of a sudden a wall of muddy water comes rushing through and kills and crushes everything in its path and there's no getting out. They say once you see it in the valley, you're done. So when people hike over there, if the forecast has any rain in it, nobody is allowed to go into these canyons. Now, that said, when Jesus uses this story and he says, either you do one of two things, either you build your house on the rock, on the firm foundation, or you're building in the sand, people would have known exactly what he was talking about. And look at the text. He talks about the rains fall and the waters come up. That's, he's describing what happens in these gullies. And people would have been like, oh, it is like that. So it's not just that they, they put their house on something that was, you know, not as stable a structure. Jesus is like, if you're not building on me, if I'm not the foundation, then you're actually putting yourself in a position where you know you will be destroyed. Everything you construct will be destroyed. That's the only alternative. We, however, do not want that to be the case. How many of you would like to build for permanency? Anybody? A lot of you are not raising your hands. Just, I don't know. Sand sounds pretty cool. If you've got your Bibles with you, write in the margin 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. If you'd like to flip over to that text, you can. Paul's going to give us a rather foundational discussion of constructing our lives. Uh, and In this text, Paul's going to talk about the foundation, but then he's going to talk about what we build on it. Let's look at the passage. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Who's the foundation? That's the only option. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will yet be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. Paul's adding to this understanding of this construction project. He says, look, there's only one foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And once you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to notice that your salvation is assured. The foundation is certain. So long as Jesus Christ is your Savior, you can and will be saved. But the description here is some people, some people after Jesus is their Savior will continue to build, but they are build of things that will not survive. Wood, straw, hay. How do those things function when it comes to fire? Ask the scarecrow. In other words, I will test what you make and some things will endure to eternity and other things will not. What you have made will be shown for what it is when it is tested with fire. The description is plain. You and I are building something right now. If you have Christ, your salvation is pretty well set. But what you're constructing may last or it may be destroyed. I've met Christians, I've known a number of Christians who said, you know, I'll I'll just be happy to get into heaven. Just so long, as, so long as I can make it to heaven, I'll be all right. I, I don't really ask for much. And I, I get the sentiment, right? Because the alternative is pretty bad. I'll be happy to just get, but I don't want to just get into heaven. I don't want to come in by just the skin of my teeth. I don't know, want what I do in this life to be worth nothing. Did you see that second part of that passage? He says some of you are going to build in such a way that I, you know, what you create will survive. It will endure. And when it does, you will be rewarded. Now let me say this. If the God of this universe, the creator of the cosmos, says to you, I've got a reward for people who build something permanent, that's not something you want to miss out on. This is not something you want to pass by. So by the skin of your teeth is not the way that we want to enter the kingdom of God. One, as if getting through the flames, not like that. So how do we build a foundation that can endure? That's the question. G.I. Joe offers us some instruction. Knowing is half the battle. For any kid raised in the 80s, we were keenly aware of that particular phrase. For those of you who did not grow up in the 80s, let me explain some weird cultural phenomena that happened during that time. Congress passed some law that every cartoon had to have a public service announcement at the end of the cartoon. So if you watch cartoons from the 80s and you're like, why is He-Man telling me what Skeletor learned today? It's because Congress passed this particular bill. So all of these cartoons had this public service announcement, and G.I. Joe's always ended the same way. Now I know, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe, and it was every episode, every episode. And it was well said. The, the intention was to get kids to know that, hey, knowledge is part of the way there, and amen, it is, but knowledge is not enough. Knowledge without doing is worthless. The scriptures are very clear about this. To just know is not enough. James the brother of Jesus, again if you've got your Bible with you, jot this in the margin, James chapter 1 verse 22 through 25. James chapter 1 verse 20 through 22 through 25. Here's what James says, "Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says." Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We should be constantly asking ourselves as we read through the scriptures, is this being applied in my life? Am I doing something with this passage? Am I just hearing this or am I doing it? So what are you doing with what you're hearing? Again, let's look at our original text, verse 24 through 26. I want you to notice there's only one thing that differentiates the person who builds on the rock from the person who builds in the sand. One thing differentiates them. Look at the text. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, underline that, is like a wise man who built his, his house on the rock, and the rains came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, underline that, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash the difference is not hearing the word of God the difference is doing what you hear if James the brother of Jesus did not persuade you perhaps that great theologian Bruce Lee might Bruce Lee said this knowing is not enough we must apply willing is not enough we must do that's good stuff let me say that again knowing is not enough we must apply willing is not enough we must do Other than sounding a bit like Yoda, this is fantastic advice. So let's do this. Let's bring forth the excuses to close up our sermon today. Do you argue with yourself? I find it's actually a good spiritual and mental discipline to frame up arguments against yourself. One of the worst things you can do is leave your objections to something vague in your own mind. Because then if you don't voice them, they seem more powerful. Something about saying them out loud or writing them down will make you go, oh, that's dumb. Let's do that with this. So we've said our construction project is spending time with Jesus and applying it. Let's give good reason why we shouldn't have to do that, shall we? Excuse number one, I'm coming to church already. What do you want from me? I'm coming to church already, what do you want from me? Look, I mean, how much does God expect? I'm here every Sunday, I stand, sometimes even I clap my hands when we're singing. How much more can he ask of me? I want you to imagine that your home's roof is collapsing. Imagine that your foundation is buckling, and quite frankly, you need to rebuild the whole home. Imagine now that you make this decision. You know what I'm going to do? This weekend, I'm going to go spend some time with people who build houses. We're going to get together, and they're going to teach me how to build my home. Then they're going to offer to help me work on my home. I'm not going to accept that offer, but we'll let them offer it to me. Then I want to gather to sing songs and talk about building homes. And I want to sing songs and even clap my hands about, about songs that talk about home renovation. It's going to be fantastic. If that's all you've done, 20 years later, what, what is the condition of your home? Yeah, it, I mean, maybe the same if you were lucky, but probably worse Because all you've done is you've wasted time. You've you've given it lip service, but you've not done anything. What do you want from me, Jesus? I'm already coming to church. What does he want? What did the Great Commission say? He wants you to become his disciples, his followers, his learners, to devote and build your life around him. That's what he wants. What does he want from you? He wants you to build something significant in this life that endures to eternity that's what he wants. Excuse number two, but I already like what I'm doing right now. I don't want to change. Pursuing Jesus may require me to change and I don't want to change. Now, other than sounding like a toddler kicking his feet and hammering on the ground, this is one of those excuses. As soon as you bring it forth, you go, boy, that sounds childish. I would never say that out loud. And yet this is still the mentality that many people have in the church. Let me respond to this as though it merited a response. This might sound a little confusing, so I'll say it twice. Ready? If your desires are changed, then your desire for your previous desires will be altered as well. One more time. If your desires are changed, then your desire for your previous desires will be altered as well. Are you worried about your desires changing? I don't know if I want to pursue Jesus. Like if I pursue him further, then I might miss out on all this stuff that I'm doing right now and and the projects that are important to me right now. That is to say, if I demolish my previous works and start building on the foundation of Jesus Christ by doing what he says, I may not feel the same way about the things I used to think were important. Yeah, that's the point. Let me illustrate it with, uh, with high schoolers. I I've had the privilege and pleasure to work with many high schoolers over the years, and I find that some of them drink those vile energy drinks. Ugh. It tastes like Mountain Dew with aspirin crushed up in it. I just, I've tried, and ugh. And so when I see them drinking, I'm like, have you read the studies about those things? Do you know what that's doing to you? I don't care. And I, and I give them the, listen, if you'll just drink black coffee for a little while, it's, it's good for you, it's fantastic on every level, you'll come to love it. Imagine this response, and I've actually gotten this one before, I like my energy drinks. I don't like coffee. I'm afraid that if I begin drinking coffee, then by next year at this time, I won't want my vile energy drinks anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's the point. And the point is the same here. If you're saying, I don't know if I want God's project to be my project, let me just offer you this. He said that if his project becomes your project, your desires are going to change. You're not going to think the same way about what you've been doing. It's not a good excuse excuse number three so in other words I give up everything in my life that isn't explicitly Christian or it's all a waste of time I can't do spiritual stuff all day Ben I've got to go to work it's kind of this all-or- nothing thing like I've got to commit my entire self look look Ben this is good for you to say your job has you sitting around and reading all day every day and, and studying that's fair for you but we're normal people and you're a weird person Right? So, so we don't get to do this. Imagine your doctor looks at you, and you have your doctor's appointment, he says to you, you need to drink more water. And your response to the doctor is, oh, so you're saying that if I eat food, I'm a bad person. I can't drink water all day, doctor. I've got to go to work. <laughs> Does that seem like a viable excuse? No. It was not God's intention that we, like the medieval monks, sit around all day, and austere contemplation and, and just meditating all day long. That's not God's intention for every one of us, and that's not the way that we are spiritual. This sort of all or nothing response is what we call in philosophy a false dichotomy. It's either this or it's this. Either you're all spiritual all the time in every way, or you can't be spiritual at all. So, regarding that belief, though, that I can't be spiritual all day, can I just say I believe that you can? regardless of what circumstances you are in throughout your day, every day, I believe that you can be thoroughly spiritual wherever you are, in your work, in your hobbies, in the things that you enjoy, in in any environment, I believe you can be thoroughly spiritual of Christ. Where would the church be if everybody were doing the monk routine? If we were one big holy huddle that just sat around meditating all day, studying the word and not engaging the world, where would the church be? It would have died out. God's plan, God's great plan, is that you build a spiritual structure where you are. If you're a student, you do it at school. If you're in a family, you do it in your household. If you're going to work, you build your spiritual structures there. You are Christ's person wherever you are, and in doing so, you are creating something of eternal value. If you are in him, his word is in you, and you are living it, that's what you're doing. Ask yourself this question. Was Jesus always meditating? Was Jesus always praying? Was Jesus always preaching, or did he eat meals and celebrate? Did he stretch out in front of a fire and put his feet up in front of it to warm them. Did he laugh with his friends? Did he go to wedding feasts? And the answer to that is yes. Was he wasting his time? No. Because you can be Christ's person wherever, and every moment of your life can have value if you are his, hearing his word and doing what he says. My wife honors and worships God as an elementary school teacher. She doesn't have to be preaching to the second graders in order to be Christ's person in that classroom. She simply is Christ's person, and God seems to open up opportunities for her to be Christ's person right there. To grow people spiritually, to engage people spiritually, even when the, the government forbids it. Wow. Could that happen in your workplace? You bet it could. Does Christ want it to happen in your workplace? You bet he does. Excuse number four. I'll work on this after I have finished this other project I'm working on. Fill in the blank. So let me tell you the way this normally works out for people. Usually see this kind of starting up with high schoolers. It's like, well, I got homework. We got all these things to do. I'm trying to get my career set. And I've got a job that I'm working on. I'll get to the God thing and really start focusing on that when I've got more time. And then they get to college and now I'm working on my career and I'm trying to find somebody to marry and I'll I'll focus on God. I'll really let him be a part of my life and, and let him shape who I am after these things progress and then they're married and they've got kids on the way and now I'm just trying to get my career going and I've got these kids that I'm working with and my spouse expects a lot out of me and I'll get to this God thing as things progress and then you're working toward retirement and you're building up money so that you can retire and you think, I'll be God's person when I can retire and then you retire and you've got some time and nobody wants to hear a word from you because you have gleaned no spiritual wisdom over the years you have no impact anymore no capacity to make an impact and you die and you die having built built nothing of eternal value I'll get to this Jesus after I finish my more important things this is the most important project you have There is no project more important than this one, none in your life, nothing. There's a man who comes to Jesus at one stage of the game. We we get this depiction in Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 9. He comes to Jesus and and he says to him, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my my father. And, And in the Jewish paradigm, family meant so much. You were to take care of your family first and foremost and before everything else. And so Jesus certainly looks at this man and says, you know what, do what you have to do for your family. No, he doesn't. He looks at the man and says, let the dead bury the dead. Come follow me. Jesus is saying, your first, your primary priority in this life is to be my disciple. Not to mention, if you're waiting for tomorrow, if you're waiting to finish this project you're working on, let me say tomorrow is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. This is a project, and you don't know when this project's coming due. It could end today. And what you have built To this point in your life, maybe the only thing you get to take forward with you. Some years back, my father wrote a letter to my siblings and I. Here's what he said I pray that I will live to see every one of you pursue him as passionately as he first sought you and spend the last half of your lives in ministries specific to the talents that you each possess. Yeah, I said the last half of your lives. Sobering, isn't it? How quickly it's gone by. How are those legacies going? What will people remember, and what are you packing with you for your journey home? What are you packing with you for your journey home? What are you doing today that endures for eternity? That will be here after the earth is gone? What are you doing today? Christ did not call us to build a cathedral in a day. It wasn't his intention that we be able to create these massive structures all at one time. Here's what Jesus is telling you today. Commit to the construction project. Today, a little. Do you remember how Jesus is described in the scriptures as building material? Is he a window? Is he a door? Is he a knickknack? No, he is the chief cornerstone. Do you know what that means? The chief cornerstone in the foundation project in the Jewish paradigm in in this day and age, the chief cornerstone was the most squared block of stone you had. It was the starting point. You had a completely level spot, and that stone went in first. And every other stone had to be squared to that stone. If it wasn't, that stone was rejected, it would not fit as part of the building. And so what God's asking us to do is he's going, look, I've laid the first stone. I've begun the building project. I am the foundation. And what we get to choose to do is today lay a block of our own. And tomorrow put down another block. And try to create something that lasts by doing these two things, listening to his word and putting it into practice. It's so simple, isn't it? And so hard to do envision your life as a construction project you have to build today what you fail to build today will never be built we tend to think about our lives our spiritual lives as we did like when we were students which is you know this you, you get to a point where you're like well i didn't do my homework today but i'll make it all up tomorrow i'll cram Like, well, just get it all together before all is said and done. I'll I'll work harder to, to compensate for what I've not done today. That's not the way your spiritual life works. What you don't do today will never get done. It's gone forever. Your opportunity to do that is gone forever. There's no compensation for it. Envision your life as a construction project. Your obedience to Christ is laying down materials that cannot be destroyed. February 24th, 1976. That was the year I was born. Which means this, as except, with the exception of today, I have lived 16,399 days. That seems like a lot, doesn't it? I wonder how many days I've done nothing to construct my project for the kingdom. How many days I've laid down wood and straw or something else that is going to be consumed by fire? How many days I've just refused to lay down anything? What are you building today? It's going to be tested, not just tested at the end, but it will be tested as well in this life. Look at the storm's prospect. When's the best time to decide to build a structure that can withstand a storm? Now, we all know that, right? How often have I experienced in the ministry people who suddenly are trying to be spiritual and have their lives right with Christ in the midst of a storm? It's the first time they thought of it. Guys, prepare what you're doing before that happens. Storms are going to be brutal. Inside the house, they're going to be brutal, but you want something that stands. Build it today. What are you building? What are you working on? What will endure to eternity? Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for the invitation to come and begin part of a a structure, a a creation of our own making, things that we can apply ourselves to today that will matter for forever. We praise you for being the foundation and the chief cornerstone, for giving us your word and promising us that if we listen and put these things into practice, Father, that we're building something that is eternal in value that will we we'll endure to forever. Lord, we love you, and we praise you for being that firm foundation. Help us to forever you our lives as a construction project being built for you. We offer you this in your most precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.